Welcome back to Beyond Religion. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lott. It's been a couple of weeks, and I am excited that we were able to press pause in order to wait and introduce you to Wendy Cooper. Wendy Cooper is an activist, a native New Orleanian, and a transgender woman of color. She earned her Bachelor of Science degree in 2011 and her Master of Arts in Criminal Justice in 2015, both from Southern University here in New Orleans. She is the founder of the Cans Can't Stand campaign, which seeks to liberate individuals who have been impacted by Louisiana's Crimes Against Nature statute. You'll hear us talk a little bit about that. It was enacted in 1805 and disproportionately targets the LGBTQ community, especially trans women of color. Wendy provided key testimony in a federal lawsuit that successfully challenged CANS and secured the removal of more than 700 women from the sex offender registry. Because of her advocacy, Wendy received a city council proclamation and has been featured in MSNBC and human rights campaign feature stories. Her life and activism is also the subject of a documentary by New Yorker magazine called CANS Can't Stand. She currently serves as executive director of Transcending Women, an organization aimed at empowering all women with connections to employment and bringing visibility and resources to women seeking leadership positions all across the American South. That's just some of what Wendy does and a fraction of who Wendy is. We were at a conference together in Atlanta several weeks ago talking about this podcast, just getting to know each other. And you'll hear me reference that she was excited to come on and talk about her experience in church. Primarily what I talked with her about up to that point was criminal legal system reform, because that's one of the hats I wear is working with the St. Charles Center for Faith and Action and uh, doing a lot of advocacy work or training with faith communities around uh, what the harms are in the criminal legal system and why the criminal legal system needs to be radically transformed. Well, as you can imagine, growing up as a queer trans person in the South, Wendy has a number of things to say about the trauma churches cause. The trauma not only from dangerous theology that comes from pastors and sermons, but what happens when that dangerous theology is embodied by parishioners and taken out into the world. Here in Louisiana, We've been tracking a number of bills at the state legislature, just like so many of you have all across America. And one of them would allow public school officials who do not approve of trans and non-binary kids going by a chosen name, going by proper pronouns. And if they disagree on religious principles, then they do not have to honor the child, or even parental rights where parents have signed a form saying, yes, my child goes by this preferred name. Yes, my child goes by these pronouns. I get pretty worked up about that one because it's such an abuse of freedom of religion, not to mention a violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. But it's what happens when toxic, bad, dangerous theology doesn't just get spoken in the pulpit. It gets spoken in the pulpit, received in the pews, embodied, and then taken out into the world to cause harm. 
So yeah, I'm fired up about this one. It is a slightly different angle, but you will hear Wendy in her own words make the distinction between growing up in religion and being a person of spirit as an adult. I also want to highlight that Wendy is such a giver in her work that most of the money, it may even be all of the money that she receives that's coming into Transcending Women is immediately going back out to help the women that she works with. And most of the women she works with are trans women of color. And you're going to hear us talk about the um, the crimes against nature statute that allows many of them to get arrested for consensual sexual acts. And she, like so many, is a tired, tired leader. Raising three kids, doing the work, giving of herself, and it's time for Wendy to have people pour back into her. So in the show notes, I'm going to drop her cash app handle. I'm going to drop her PayPal handle. I'm going to put information for transcending women, as well as the New Yorker documentary, Cans Can't Stand. And I hope you will listen carefully and with an open heart and an open mind as Wendy Cooper shares her own story about being a woman who transcends so much to then change the world for good. Thank you for coming and for carving time out of your very full schedule. Yes. It's good to be with you. Same here. And I'm glad to introduce you to another audience because you're, mm-hmm. and people need to know your story. We were just talking about setting really high expensive speaker fees for you so that the world's going to start paying you <laughs> tremendous amount of money to come be an inspirational Thank speaker you. and advocate and activist. We're going to call that into right. existence now. <laughs> so we met through your activism and advocacy work, primarily around crimes against nature, laws in Louisiana, but that's not really what we're going to talk about today. We went to Atlanta together recently. Yes. to talk about criminal legal system and reform and how different people in faith communities can come alongside. In the breakout session, at some point, we were just sitting there talking about life and kids and all of that. And I mentioned this podcast and the trauma of religious upbringing and outgrowing some of that or overcoming it. And you said, oh, I've got got some stories to tell. So let's start in childhood. You grew up here in New Orleans? Yes. I grew up in New Orleans in a St. Thomas project, okay. uh, which is located uptown in the Irish Channel. And that's been torn down and rebuilt? So that's been torn down, and now they that's rebuild near it. near Walmart? Yes. Okay. And so they rebuild it. Now it's called River Garden. It's an environment where they have a lot of people who are in marginalized Mm -hmm. situations and living under poverty and things like that. But they also do have people who are living in that environment who are paying, I guess they call market rate rent or Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's like a a mixed environment, what they're doing. And so I still continue to go back there and still continue to see people and help people who I have grown up with prior to that development. New Orleans through and through, which is a wonderful thing and also a bizarre, weird thing. I had a pothole on Poitras the other night driving home in the dark, and I thought that I had a car accident. Like, I thought another car had hit me. I'm like, nope, I just dropped into a hole. Going to keep going. You have to love it to live here. Absolutely. <clears throat> Growing up here, 
in our channel area uptown. Did religion and church play a big role or small role in your growing up experience? I think religion plays a big role within the black communities. I think religion is it's more of like that masterpiece of guidance for black folks showing us ways on how we should live. Yeah. I remember growing up every Sunday, we was required to go to church. Every Wednesday, we was required to go to Bible study. And you couldn't stay home on a Sunday because you had to go to church. And growing up in that type of environment, for me, especially as a child, it was very boring. <laughs> it was, you also saw, it also has its funny moments. Yeah. When you see the different folks speaking into tongues and it's, different folks are doing a lot of praying and wondering too, like what they're praying to. But also too, growing up in, particularly in the black culture, <clears throat> a lot of times when, when we was forced to go to church as kids, it was very hard. Like you had to be a certain way. Mm. Everything. Dressed a certain way, act a certain way. Everything had a lot of restrictions to it. Yeah. Like, you're allowed to do this and you're allowed to do that. You can't do this. Women have to wear long skirts. Yeah. Men have to wear pants and things like that. It was very traditional and very old. Like an old practice that's been going yeah. on for so many years or whatever. And it was just like, and so that's how it was. Were you in the kind of family that you were going to church multiple times a week? So, my mother, she was the type of person that she never went to church a lot, but she always, she was a very spiritual person. Mm. And so how I used to go to church is my mother's sister was a person who used to gather the kids up and we had to go to church. My mother always was a praying woman. She prayed. I feel like when I think about her experience in regards to the church where I feel like the church was always in her because she always... She had went to church, but it wasn't like as much as I went to church or my, my one of my older brothers went to church or my cousins and things like that. And she was more of this spiritual person who prayed a lot and who probably would close her room door and probably have her conversations with yeah. God. Yeah. I always say in this town, everybody's a little bit Catholic, even if you aren't Catholic. Did you did that? Does that ring true for your experience? Did your mom have a that sense of I don't know? ancestors and saints and this like cloud of people that were that are surrounding us and praying was there an altar at home or no I think when I think about religion I think I, religion is the type for me when I think about religion to me is a type of practice that it brings segregation mm -hmm. between different cultures if that makes sense and so within the black culture I feel like a lot of times in the black culture whatever the black culture was their religion was based on Baptists when you see the white culture their religion was more focused on the Catholic realm right mm -hmm. and and I guess that's just living in the south yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying I guess that's come from just living in the south or whatever but also you this know. town in particular yeah, yeah. you've you got know, a lot of black baptist churches and then know, a lot of catholic and then churches a, it was, at the time it was a majority black city and yeah. it was a lot of baptist churches and you had catholic churches with a lot of white folks was going in catholic churches or whatever and it just it was I just never really understand 
Because I just feel like when it, I just felt when I had the understanding of learning about they have all these different religions, but we we only supposed to be focused on one thing, and that's whoever this our one true God is. Yeah. And so it just was like in the Baptist church, we sung loud and <laughs> we praised and we jumped around and we holler and we scream and the choirs is very loud and bold and things like that. But in the Catholic church, it's very mellow and soft and praying to angels and things like that and it was just like very different that makes sense yeah absolutely (laughs) so you're growing up and you're you're being taken to church and your siblings are there did you have a sense of god or spirituality that ran up against what you were experiencing at church was it different than what you were experiencing or were they complimentary were you learning more about god through the experience at church i'm wondering When there are so many restrictions around, you have to act a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to be here a certain way. So growing up, especially, and I have to say black culture, it was a lot of restrictions living in a black culture. I remember growing up, even as a young child, I I remember a voice came to me, was just telling me that you have to treat people right. You have to... Be good to people. You have to respect people. You have to do all these different things. And so, but growing up in the church, the church, you didn't see that. The church was teaching us ways like if you have the devil supposed to be this mm. bad person and this person you you shouldn't trust, or this person that you don't supposed to trust, or this individual, or this human being, or this spirit, or whatever. Yeah, you don't supposed to trust because this person is bad. But then you have this person who's of good, or this spiritual being, or this thing. But this person has so many restrictions, and this person yeah. is... But everything that's being talked about is everything he's doing bad, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. It's no balance there, because yeah. as a child, I feel like we was taught this powerful spirit, and this the second powerful spirit are both practicing mm-hmm. the same yeah. type of thing, and it's, it's just was impossible. I well, just never yeah, understood and especially it. with when the way that we're being told, like this is the good way, is the most boring way. It's the most restrictive mm-hmm. way. It's the way that often we can't be fully ourselves. That we've got to pretend to be something else, mm-hmm. and so that's really confusing when you're also like, and then all of the rest of this is mm-hmm. of the devil. And so even and then and also too very scary as a person yeah. who I was born male, and I've always I always knew that. This little boy was very different mm-hmm. from other boys. But when I go to church and I knew that as a little boy, I always liked boys. It was like, that's the churches, they always talked about things about what's not pleasing to God. And this is not right. And if you do this, you know, that's all you heard through the church in regards to when it came down to God is not a big fan of same gender loving people. Yeah. And so... That's all you hear in the church. So how early can you remember thinking, oh, they're talking about me? Yes. So what I can say is that I remember as a four-year-old, I was liking boys. Yeah. It was just something about a boy that really, it was just something about them. Yeah. That I liked. I never liked girls. I've never been with a girl. I've always liked boys. Even in kindergarten, I had a crush in kindergarten. Even in first grade, I had a crush in first grade. Even in second grade, like all these different things, right? And so when I came to the moment of me going to start going to church, 
probably like around five or six years old, I remember you hear pastors and you hear the parents and you hear the pastors talking about homosexuality mm-hmm. and things like that. And the people are jumping up and saying, buying this devil and doing all these different mm. things. And you're just looking like, they're talking about me. Yeah, What I'm doing is not right. But as a child, you're afraid and you're scared and you don't know, you don't know how to elaborate or be able to and talk. And all these adults are wanting mm-hmm. to bind the devil. That's terrifying in and of right. itself. And so I'm going to a place where, when I think about it now, I'm going to a place where I'm not welcome, I'm not loved, and I'm not all these different things or whatever. And so for me, that, I begin to hide <laughs> who I am even as a child and not want people to know. And always thinking about things where if I reach a certain age, I'm going to be afraid of a mama notice because I don't know what she's going to do yeah. because of how the church... How you knew it very young. I have to hide this from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even trying to hide it, like even trying to hide it as a child, still having to experience the impact of other individuals, not even me being in the church, but just experience people who go to church. Like my teacher, a school that I went to, a teacher who, you know, disrespected me tremendously as a child and just embarrassing me in front of the class and calling me out my name and sissy punk and all these different things or whatever. And it's being a child, like a child supposed to, as an adult, we always supposed to not want our child or children to be able to experience the things that we have to experience because they're not ready for that world, right? And so this, the behavior that this teacher enacted on me, it caused me to deal with a lot of things. But all that comes from going to church and being taught that. The teacher's getting it from church. Right, and so it's just, and so now even as an adult, I'm at a place where, like, I'm not... When people ask me, what is your religion? I don't have a religion. And it comes from my experience. And so a woman asks me, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God, but I just don't have a religion. I don't, I feel like religion is man-made. It's something that man, you know, and so it's just something that I just choose not to engage in in regards to that because I feel like that, and like I said earlier, religion brings segregation. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. And I would say it's not just segregation of class structure and education structure and racial and ethnic. But my biggest criticism right now would be that religion brings a segregation of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that we think we have to, that's the first separation is that if this part is not pleasing to God or this part can't be in God's house is how I would have grown up, mm-hmm. then any attack of that is just going to be compounding the grief. So that if you're hearing that from the pastors at church and now you're he- hearing it from a teacher at school, then this is double trauma of all these adults in my life who were supposed to love me and take care of me are telling mm-hmm. me that there's something wrong with my existence. And you know what, sometimes, and I was just telling somebody, like, sometimes people, a lot of people are in a space right now because if they're not experiencing this, what you see right now, Liz, if they're not experiencing this, they feel that they are walking in a righteous path of God because of what they was taught. Yeah. It's the most worst thing that you can ever do. And, and then when you think about it, according to the Bible, God wrote these Ten Commandments. And one of the things in the Ten Commandments is honor thy neighbor. And Mm -hmm. I am a neighbor. And so 
Not one time God talked about in these commandments about homosexuality or yeah. things about same to other people because at the end of the day we are all his kids mm-hmm. all his children and so sometimes people feel like they are when you're not in in this form they feel like everything is okay we are okay and we mm-hmm. are alright but that's what people teach that's what these preachers teaches them yeah, that's really powerful to think about that if I'm straight and I'm cis and I'm going to church, then I'm good. <laughs> and it's impossible. The world that we are living in right now, we all operate off of imperfection. It is impossible for any of us to be perfected. That's why I always say that that's why Jesus died for all of our sins, because mm-hmm. he knew that it was going to be hard for us. I don't care how much you live your life. You think that you're living your life, right? You understand what I'm saying? We are all not living our life. (laughs) And and people need to realize that. And these people who are in these spaces, they have to let them know. But they don't. Because they know that this world is about money. And confusion brings money. And and just because you see a lot of people who are wearing these black robes, they're not leaders. That makes sense, Liz? Absolutely it makes sense. (laughs) They're grifters and hustlers. And I've many times wondered if I'm wearing the same costume as they are, how does anybody tell me apart? What? So maybe it's got to be, <laughs> there's got to be some different actions that well, go into that. A wolf in sheep's clothes, yeah, yeah, yeah. something that they say, yeah. And I just think that a lot of times when it comes down to this world and this world that we're living in, everything is based on a, a, a practice that was created by man, mm-hmm. which is a different religion. Yeah. And so that, for me, would be the disconnect that when a child can go into that space and say, something about this isn't right, then it's because that child has an experience of the divine that is the true message coming through. And child's being put out, the children are being put out their homes at an early age. Then you have children are in a space where they're walking the street homeless. Mm -hmm. They are, they have to go to where other homeless kids are and create their own families and create their own mothers and create their own fathers and create their own brothers and create their own sisters and create their own family, whatever, and to get that love that they lacked. And so because of these different practices that are being utilized into these homes, causing all these things, and and then kids are committing suicide. Like, I don't know if you've heard of this movie called, I believe it's called Bobby. And so Bobby's a movie. It's on Lifetime. You might look at it on YouTube. But it was this white kid who grew up, I'm going to say a very middle-class family. Mother and father was very spiritual and things like that. He was in church and stuff like that. And what happened was the, the kid, he was very different. And so he was very different and, and, and he was trapped into this closet and trying to please his parents' mm-hmm. family for because he was different and things like that. And so what happened was this child decided to come out. And and from there his mother his mother had a problem with it. And she had a problem and she was very distance and very nasty towards him. And so one day Bobby, you know, committed suicide. And it's a true story. Yeah. And so what happened was Bobby committed suicide, whatever. And so 
once Bobby committed suicide or whatever, she didn't know how to react. And so from there, she began to, after that tragic, she began to learn and understand more and how this religion manipulated her mind to operate in a way where, you know, she was being very ugly to this child. Yeah. And I think that's a good movie you can watch. And I think that's a good movie that you make a, y'all might make a play and let people see. Yeah. This is what this type of practice does. And, And unfortunately, as kids, we have to be brought up into stuff like that, that type of environment or whatever. And it was a good movie. And it's very touching. And, but now his mother is, a, she's an ally um, for the LGBTQ community. It's a very old movie and it's very good. It was very touching too. And I think the purpose of this movie was for her to send a message yeah. to folks who are still using yeah. religion as a form of a, some type of mass destruction weapon. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? To be able to eradicate the existence of the existence of people who choose not to engage in that. Yeah, I, it's the timing of our conversation is amazing because yesterday in the state legislature, the bill that would have banned all gender affirming care for teenagers, it died in It's just I hate to say that I was so cynical. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Louisiana is going to just go the way of all these other states. But it failed. And I know that there are other bills that are equally problematic, but that was a really dangerous one. And there does seem to be a stronger movement than ever really targeting queer kids, trans and non-binary kids. And it does all come out of a theology of fear that comes through churches. And it kills we're not just saying what's a mundane example don't steal your neighbor's car okay fine that's a rule we'll say that's a rule don't steal your neighbor's car this is saying you human child everything about you is wrong god can't even look on you and for that to be reiterated again and again till it becomes ingrained in a child of course it leads to death Of course, it leads to suicide. In your work, I'm assuming that you're firsthand seeing a lot of kids when you're talking about them being on the streets and finding their own community. Can you say some about that? What you feel is the, not the problem, we know what the problem is, but what the situation is, what the scene's like here in New Orleans of queer and trans and non-binary kids getting kicked out? Yes. So that's... When it comes down to that's not a, a expertise that I, I have yeah. as a daily working me- mechanism. Sure. But what I am going to say is that I affiliate myself with an organization who deals with that or that focuses on that particular community mm-hmm. cause to youths and things like that. And so one of the things that I've learned and I have seen is that living in the South, leaders teaches us to think in a more antiquated and non-progressive way. So when you, when children who are, or in these homes who are living their truths and things like that, they don't want to be, these kids are not trying to get caught up in a way that they are forced to suppress who they are. And because they don't want to suppress who they are whatever because of what how the system have taught us being this way is wrong being this way you can't do this 
Being this way that if you do live that way, you're going to hell. Being this way, you're going to burn for everlasting life. Being this way is just not right. Yeah. Being this way and all these different things or whatever. And what that causes is that causes this child, this human being, this person who have never really experienced life to be put in a position where they are forced to navigate a world where they're not completely ready for okay. And so what they have to do is they have to go to a place where they may think that they may they have to go to a place where they have to get the things that they need that is absent, a place to stay. Love, food, care, teaching me how to do this. How would I be able to navigate? And so when you see these kids and they're in these spaces and they are lost, then it's wow. And so what I do is, as a person who are raising kids, I'm able to put myself in a space where I'm able to talk to them in a way of in a way of them getting some type of understanding. Yeah. That makes sense, Liz? Yeah. And, and, like, doing it, but also, too, I still have to remember that I'm still operating, I still have to operate off of limitation because this is not my child. Yeah. I'm not their legal guardian. Yeah. And so you have to worry about all these things because of how the system yeah. teaches them because the system's trying to teach them that you have to be this way. In order for you to be this way, that's the only way you're going to be able to live. You want a person to suppress who they are to be able yeah. to live how you want them to be. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it does. It does. It's wrong, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, I, so I'm wondering, let's jump back to your childhood. At what point did you begin to realize about yourself that you were a person of trans experience? Kindergarten. Okay. I remember in how i never forget my brother who lives with me now. That's my favorite brother. And I remember... I hope I don't hope the rest of them don't listen to this podcast. Oh, they know. They know. Okay. okay yeah, they know. <laughs> so, they, he's my favorite brother. He, I feel like he is that type of brother, like, he understands yeah. me. And so, I remember my mother was gone. Everybody was going to the house. And I remember trying on my mother's heels, her pumps, and her dress. And I was jumping in the bed. And he came into the room. And he looked at me while I was in the bed, and I got so scared. He said, go take that off. And I went and took it off. And he never, I'm 44 years old, he's never brought that conversation up again. Wow. And so I always knew that I wanted to be a cis woman. I always think, I do think that I'm a cis woman. <laughs> I've been around so many cis women all my life, so I think that I'm a cis woman. So and, and so as a child, always knowing that I wanted to be that cis person, that cis woman, and so... I prepare myself for this day. So I'm able to be who I am. And being around a lot of cisgender women, learning from them, helping some of them raise their kids, that's always been instilled in me. And even times where the cis women who I'm still friends with today are who are my sisters. I remember times where, you know, when I began to I began to transition and, and I was very off. In regards to, like, trying to still learn what I need to do. Mm-hmm. You need to shave your legs. Telling me you need to shave under your arms. You need to do all these different things. Women don't live that way. You have to do this. You need to do that. And, and because of 
that experience from them mm-hmm. and them telling me how I should be, it helped me even today. But to go back, you know, I've always knew that I was going to be this. Yeah. As a child. Was was there any big moment in religious life and growing up in church where you were actively rejected or was it more the culture of <laughs> how could you not feel rejected when people around you are binding demons and preaching this message and a teacher's calling you up in front of the class? But the crazy thing about when I began to, when I was a child, it always was a fear that, well, when I get older, I'm going to have to deal with things. And I used to always be scared, like... I always wanted to stay the same age. Because as a child, your mind is not as progressed as an adult. Yeah. So in your mind, you thinking like a child, fear comes in and thinking about what your parents going to see and thinking about what all these adults going to see because you're still a child. And so your mind can't think as far as an adult can. And so I remember turning 15 years old and fear surrounded me more because I knew one day I wanted to be Wendy, but I didn't know how I was going to be Wendy. And that's growing up in the churches and the churches speaking on same gender loving people and the churches speaking on things like when you are this way, you're not. And so when I did come to the point of wanting to transition or whatever, I remember walking from the St. Thomas Project and I walked all the way to my mother's job and she was working at the Embassy Suite Hotel. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's <laughs> And I walked there and I told my mother, my mother wasn't in agreement with it and it wasn't in a bad way. She just wasn't in agreement with me because she also was brought up into the church as well. Yeah. I'm from Virginia and she was a very spiritual person but she just wasn't like, it wasn't in a way of being judgmental. And so what I did was, because when I did begin my transition, whatever, I still went to church, but I also had to go in a way where of how I was taught by a lot of cisgender women. Mm-hmm. You have to be this way. Yeah. You have to walk this way. You can't bring too much attention to yourself. So, so now you're inheriting a whole new set yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of problems and issues and patriarchy just from another angle. Yeah. And so when I'm going into the churches or whatever, I have to be very mild yeah. and very conservative. And because one of the things that I was taught that you have to navigate stigma. And that it's your job to make other people comfortable. Yes. Which is garbage. Good. Yes. And so now I'm having kids. So with my kids or whatever, I'm just walking through. And even today, I may use my kids as a tool. So walk into spaces and be like, oh, babe, you got some beautiful children. I'd be like, oh, thank you. Because they think they're my kids. And so I have to use them as a tool. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so this is what I have to do. And I'm still navigating that. Yeah. That makes sense? Absolutely. Still navigating. But all that comes from churches have a way of doing things. And these are scary times. Yes, and that's how it is. And so I still, even today as an adult, I still have to navigate when I go through spaces. I'm very calm. If you ever notice, I'm very calm Mm -hmm. when I'm in space. When we was in Atlanta, I was very calm. I was Mm -hmm. just walking on through because people used to see women of my experience are more girl and distant. Mm -hmm. And because I can't be that way. Yeah. I have to be that way when I'm inside around my own girls and when That's I right, know and so when I'm in the world I have to be a certain way and to be honest that what gets me through navigating stigma. Yeah. 
But then there's a cost to it, too. <laughs> I would think that's exhausting. It is. It is. It is exhausting. But that's the only way I'm, I'm going to be able to live. Yeah. And you have your community. So there are places where you can... Be me. Turn it off and, yeah. Yeah. But I also think that's for anybody, even if you're not a part of this community. I just think that we all have to navigate a space where we need that that full acceptance. Sure. We're all performing all the time and yes. wearing masks all and the it's time. Exhausting. And it is exhausting. But I think the difference is there might be a dozen different places where I'm pretending to be more sophisticated than I am or smarter than I am or any of that stuff. But at no point am I worried that somebody might kill me or attack me or at some point arrest me. I, my performing still comes with a tremendous amount of privilege wrapped around it. And I think that needs to be acknowledged, too. That to say we're all exhausted, we all pretend is one thing, but not all of us have the same risks attached to the pretending. It, it, I just feel like we all, I just feel like it's just something that is just of the world. Even when I'm this poor person, it's mingling with a lot of rich people. And I, I'm in that space with all these rich people. And I, with these, all these rich people are walking past me, not speaking, wanting me to acknowledge them because they're rich. But then you have people who are not rich, like me, who are able to go into these spaces and they have to present themselves in a certain way in order to have that conversation with this person and stuff like that. And I'm like, that ain't exhausting. Yeah, that's you know exhausting too. And, it it just, and so my whole thing is, is, it's so crazy that we have to, the world that we're living in, we have to navigate a space according to the space that we in. And so that's what I have to do. Yeah. I want to jump back to, I know you were saying this isn't your area of expertise, but given how much anti-trans, anti-queer policies are going around the country right now, like not just sentiment, but like actual restrictions in states, putting kids in danger, what are some of the groups here that you alluded to that are working with adolescents maybe and young adults who are on the streets? Is House of Tulip one of them? House of Tulip, Breakout. It's an organization that fights in regards to the rights for youths in the LGBTQ community, Louisiana Trans Advocate. Yeah, I was just in Baton Rouge uh, with them last week. Yes, Crescent Care. These are organizations that are 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 fighting tremendously in regards to the fight of youths having equality within yeah. the state as well. And then there's local, L-O-C-A-L, or maybe they call it local. Never heard of them. It is a kind of an umbrella organization that's ACLU, one of the ones you said, Louisiana Trans Advocates, mm -hmm. PFLAG. There are a bunch of different groups, and they're doing the policy work in Baton Rouge. It's a mass mailing list and mm -hmm. organizing group when it comes to legislation. Mm -hmm. But there's the very real problem of people's everyday life mm -hmm. who are, especially religious trauma that is turning people out onto the streets. Oh, absolutely. Because that, I just feel like they don't have nothing else to, they don't have yeah. nothing else to put a, write a bill about. Everything is focused <laughs> on 
dead. You know, yeah. They ran out of solutions. They they finally won their abortion stuff, and so they had to move on to a new cause to keep everybody scared. They're running out. Of, they're running out of things, so now yeah. they focus on the LGBTQ community. Yeah, let's let's focus on them again. What is the primary focus in your work these days? When me, I'm all about criminal justice reform. Eh? The reason why I'm focused on that is because I was a person who was impacted by the legal system. And I feel that people who have or who are impacted by incarceration, particularly people who are incarcerated, are living in a world where they are erased from society. And the reason why I say that, because it's a lot of people who are incarcerated, it's people who I'm actually advocating for now, help well with their wives, who are incarcerated now, have been impacted by injustice and have been impacted by this injustice for over 30 years, for over 20-something years. And so the legal system, again, teaches us in a way to think in a more antiquated mentality. The system educates the people, the legal experts who are operating these systems to think in a more antiquated way, right? And these people who are operating these systems teaches the community, right, to think in a way where when a person was found guilty they're just automatically guilty but the legal system teaches us that that this system has glitches and this system operates off injustices Mm. and these systems are doing these things and so for me I always tell people that when I do this work I focus on people who are incarcerated but also to people who are creating these injustices like our legislators right they are the one causing these problems and want us to navigate this and make people believe that this is how it's supposed to be when it's not. Yeah. And so for me, I just feel and it's just like even my own organization, it's just me. Whatever money that I get in, that whatever money that comes to my organization, I don't get I don't pay myself. But what I do is I sow in, into these different community in these And what is the name of your organization again? Transcending Women. Transcending Women, and we're going to put the link in the show notes and, yes. and ask for people to donate yes, so that please. you're building a support structure where you are paying yourself. Yes, yes. Again, speaking yeah. it into the room. Yes, and, and focusing on these things and but focus like, really like on helping people yeah. who are in the system because I feel like we forget it's okay for policy to be changed. Yeah. But policy is not good when we can't help the people who are yep. impacted by that policy. Yeah. I think that makes sense? Absolutely. I think a really common example would be weed is everywhere now. There are so many marijuana companies. It's coming to New Orleans that you're going to start having regular dispensaries here. It's legislated. It's taxed. It's on regular farms now. So what about all these people who are still in prison? For weed possession, for selling weed that now white people are sitting on the boards of corporations of these giant cannabis dispensaries. So I think that's one of many examples of maybe some stuff is changing out here. But what about all these people who have now been forgotten or are at risk of being forgotten and at risk of being invisible? And what do we do to care for those who are inside still? And I think we forget about them, the people who are caught up into these systems. And, and it's important for us. So, yeah, we're fighting to get these policy changed, but how are we going into these correction facilities and to be able to help these people, to get some type of legal counsel to be able to help them get out of that injustice? Yeah. And so that's why our prison rate is so high, because 
we are forgetting about we are only picking things out of a mission to operate on, but not fully yeah. operating on that mission. Yeah. It in your there's a documentary that the New Yorker magazine did about you and your story and your work, and I know one of the statistics in that short film is that 97% of the people arrested in Orleans Parish under the Crimes Against Nature statute are trans women of color. Yes. Does that statistic hold pretty true still? I know the film's a few years old, but almost everybody is what that means. Like, even when I, when Mad and Megan first came to me or whatever, I always, I advocate on my experience, and I advocate on the things that I have seen and saw. Like, I explained to Matt and Megan, who are the directors of Can't Can't Stand, just explains when coming up or whatever. A lot of women in my community, particularly black trans women, was being arrested and and charged with the Louisiana Crime Against Nature statute. And so it was a time in the city of New Orleans where Arlene's Parish Prison, which is now called the Arlene's Justice System. I will not Center. call it that. I only call it a uh, They used to have a floor, particularly for woman of my experience, which was HOD6. It was House of Detention. And so on this floor, it was broken down into four tiers. And so in these tiers, you had at least 20-something women of my experience in each cell. So it was three cells to a tier. You had 90 to 100 people on one tier. And you had close to 400 women of my experience probably on that floor. And and with that, every time someone come into the door, it was a crime against nature. And it got to the point where that this law itself was very normal for us. And so we just had to be receptive and accepted to what it was. And so just having conversations with them about the crime against nature and law, Mad and Megan, is that at one point in time, we was required to register as sex offenders, and we was required to be in compliance with registration, passing photo cards around our pictures posted on a sex offender database, having sex offender written on our identification cards, and even our state ID, not being able to participate in any type of kid friendly neighborhoods, but also wanted people to know this was the only law on a sex offender registry that didn't have anything to do with force or any coercion on a human being. Yeah. It's just two consensual adults was engaging in this activity. And so for me, a person who has been impacted by and had to experience these things for so many years, I felt like it was important to bring attention to this injustice. And I just began to talk to people and began to talk to different people and tell my story. I began to talk to people and and just tell people, like, what I wanted them to do. But a lot of times I was ignored. And a lot of times people just didn't get the story and then they just moved on because I just feel like in Louisiana, a lot of times people who are in these spaces and who are fighting and who are advocating don't have the strength or they are afraid to go against legislators of this state. And so when Matt and Megan came to me want to do a documentary, I was very skeptical about it, but I also had to give them a try because it's all a part of fighting. And so that's what I did. And from there, we did the documentary. I do a lot of traveling. The documentary itself is is getting great exposure. It has won a lot of awards. Big Frida has signed on as the executive producer mm. of the documentary. It's getting attention 
But I feel like we need the communities to get involved in more and utilizing this piece that is being showed as a trending thing and and let people see what's going on so this law can be removed. And because of this law, we teach people that this law has affected a lot of folks in our community where it was through debt, where it was through homelessness. Or even myself, I have two degrees and never had the opportunity to utilize my degrees and have the experience to be able to go into different job settings because this law was a hindrance and advocating this work. Yeah. Because there were so many women of my experience and black women and, and people in, in vulnerable communities was affected by this, this law. What would it look like for faith communities to actually support your cause, yes. to support your work? I think that it will be beautiful. I also think that it will be wonderful too, because this the problem is that a lot of these faith-based organizations are operating off hate, and what that causes is that it prohibits people to do what they need to do in regards to removing all these injustices that's going on. Yeah. And I think that a lot of faith-based organizations need to operate in a way of truth. Yeah. They need to operate in a way of truth to be able to get these leaders to understand that this is not right. Yeah. There are consequences to our words. There are consequences. (laughs) When we were constantly preaching hate and exclusion, we cannot be surprised by the consequences of those words. Yes. And you have leaders who are a part of the community. And here they are writing anti-legislation bills. Yeah. And it just it doesn't make any sense. And what they're doing is they are manipulating a system in a way to be able to help them for re-election because they know this. They just Absolutely. Know. And so I just feel like these... These organizations need to get more involved in regards to speaking truth on what things is. Or if you can't speak truth on it, don't voice your opinion about things to be able to hurt a particular group of people. Yeah, yeah. So you're raising kids, you're an activist, you're a speaker, you're traveling around, you're also working behind the scenes and sometimes literally in the Mm -hmm. protecting people and looking for people. So you're, you are busy. And I'm sure you are pulled in a thousand directions and sometimes overwhelmed. Yes. So what do you do to care for your spirit? I don't. That's the thing, like, I don't. And I think I'm in a space where I need to. I think I'm in a space right now where because I do so much, I just need to get away. Yeah. I just need to. I need to get away for a while and just go out of town and just me. No kids, (laughs) nobody, you know, and it's just, I'm just, I'm mentally drained. Yeah. I'm mentally drained. And I think the problem is that I tell people all the time, resources is important. Yeah. Resources is important. If you can have resources to be able to help you in regards to like paying for a traveling expense and stuff like that, they have the 
the money to be able to do it and you able to do it, like, just do it. I just feel like a lot of us need it, especially a, a lot of people who are literally, like, genuine in regards to, like, the work. Yeah. Their work and helping people and things like that. And it's going to be people like you who say all the money that comes into my organization is going back out to help other people. <laughs> and that's a focus. That's and that's yeah. what my mind be on. Because and it's I, beautiful. And it's because it's coming from your heart. And right. You know that it matters. And it come, it's coming from my heart too. And it's just it's not my money. Yeah. And it's like I don't want to put a price on money that someone has given me to be able to help these people. Yeah. And that's the thing I just feel like a lot of times it's all these systems that are in place. Yeah. And so I try not to create that system. And sometimes I feel like I do need that system, but yeah. sometimes I just don't I just don't have the capacity to create it right now because it's not the money that I do receive. It's not it's just a person may need it more than me. And and it's just like maybe things that I need done but it's just I just figure a way out to do it yeah and God helps me in that way yeah and God helps me in a way so in spite of what I may think that's bad for me he God keeps me in a space where I'm stable you know? yeah. and so I'm more stable than that person who yeah. I'm helping and so I do need a break yeah I do need a, a, a vacation I do need a secure income yeah I do but also too I feel like too because of my past experience and the things that I have been through as well, I feel like it's causing me not to be as productive as I should because I'm so busy living in a world where my only way that I'm able to live is in being in survival mode. And and that's all I see. And so survival mode for me is the way of just living and I don't want to be in that way. And I feel like people judges me on this right here my mind yeah and they think that my way of thinking is very mediocre and it's lacked and all Mm. these different things and it's just not it's not that it's like when I get into certain spaces sometimes I may get into a place where I may catch a panic attack and people may not see and I begin to talk in the wheel and I have to deal with these things daily and because of a lot of people don't know that I'm immediately judged and stuff like that so I think it's just a lot of things but I do need to a break because I'm mentally drained and it's just like yeah. I just can't that you can't keep pouring from an empty cup all of those metaphors and images yeah. of the getting on the airplane and mothers need to put their mask on before they put it on the kids it's it's all of that and I hear in this for anybody who does listen to this episode and is still in a faith community mm-hmm. and is in a faith community that wants to do good in the world mm-hmm. I think caring for the caregivers is a huge space mm-hmm. that that communities of faith and conscience would fill, providing ways of rest and respite for people who are out on the front lines Mm -hmm. doing serious advocacy and activism work. Because often people in churches will say, I can't do that because I'm too old. I can't do that for X, Y, Z. But most churches have some financial resources Mm -hmm. and, and that could be one way. I'm just putting that out there Mm -hmm. for some people to think about how do we repair harm that has been caused from our own Bible, from Mm -hmm. our own pulpits and if it's not doing the front lines work, it could be creating spaces to care for the people Absolutely. who are out there. Yes. I'm grateful for an hour of your time and what I know is a busy life and for how vulnerable and honest you are about mm-hmm. your story. 
And I didn't go into this thinking that I was going to fundraise for you, but now I'm like, we're going to be transiting <laughs> women. We're going to have all the links. I'm going to put the link to Cans Can't Stand, the mm-hmm. documentary. And we mentioned a few other organizations, and I'll find that movie too, Bobby, and see if I can drop that into yes. the show notes. So yes. we'll have some resources on this one. And I'm just so glad to know you. I feel really lucky to know you. And I'm oh, absolutely. inspired by your you. work. I'm glad I came. I am too. Yes. Thank yes. you. And yes. to be continued. Absolutely. We'll keep talking. Okay. <laughs> this was beautiful.